The Irish Times Inside Politics podcast is going to be holding another live event. This one is in central Dublin on Thursday, May the 16th at 8am. We are going to be in Medley in Dublin too. We only have a few tickets left, so if you want to join me in conversation with head of Ipsos polling in the US, Cliff Young, along with Pat Leahy and Jennifer Bray, looking at the polling in Ireland in the run-up to the European and local elections, just go to irishtimes.com slash events where you can get your tickets. Hello, you're listening to Inside Politics, the weekly politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Mary Minahan of the Irish Times political staff. I'm delighted to be joined in our Dublin studio by my colleagues Fia Kelly and Michael O'Regan and on the line from Belfast by Sophie Long, a unionist, feminist and progressive person. Yes, it is possible to be all three. Well, what a week it's been since our last podcast. Brexit has continued to dominate political debate in the Republic and Northern Ireland with a definite change in tone coming from government buildings. Leo Varadkar is preparing for his first visit to the North as Taoiseach and he's on a collision course, it seems, with the DUP over equal marriage. Contrarian columnist Kevin Myers was fired by the Sunday Times for his comments on Jews and women in the workplace in a column ostensibly about the controversial gender pay gap in broadcasting. And in the US, Anthony Scaramucci crashed and burned as the White House communications director. To go to you first, Sophie, um, I don't want to equate Scaramucci's experience with your own, but uh, our readers might have read in the Belfast Telegraph uh, what happened to you. And just tell us in your own words, you quit as the Progressive Unionist Party's Director of Communications in March after facing a negative internal reaction when you tweeted condolences to the late Martin McGuinness's comrades. What happened there? Yeah, so um, at the time when Martin McGuinness had passed away, I'd sent out a tweet to to express uh, my condolences to his uh, family, friends and comrades. Um, and that was picked up by some within the party as showing uh, sympathies with IRA members. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was part of a kind of broader left-right split within the party at the time. And I had a few discussions with the leadership. And given the difficulties the party was going through and the fact that I could continue my own political projects elsewhere, I thought it'd be most productive and straightforward just to say, look, I'll stand down, let somebody else um, take on the role. And did you have any sympathy recently then for Scaramucci or indeed Myers having been in the eye of a media storm yourself? I couldn't express any sympathy for anyone that worked with Donald Trump, no. (laughs) And what about Mr Myers? Uh, Again, further contributing to the marginalisation of women. All these things are abhorrent, so no, no sympathy for him. Fake, you noticed uh, a, a very definite tone in the letters to the Irish Times today. Yeah, there's a sympathetic uh, messaging or sympathetic air to a lot of the letters in the Irish Times today. Some people harking back to his time with this paper. And I noticed one particular letter writer said, Sir, now that that, that, uh, Kevin Myers basically is back in the market, can you bring him home to the Irish Times to (laughs) counterbalance Una Mullally and Vincent O'Toole? But I think, uh, Michael, just before we came on, uh, said that that perhaps, maybe Sir Mary said that that perhaps maybe reflects the age split in the readership profile of the paper as opposed to our website because it's very much the, the opinions being expressed on, expressed on social media mm-hmm. and message forums and on Facebook, etc., is of the view that we've just heard a second ago that it's misogynistic, that it's uh, you know anti-Semitic, that perhaps he deserved to be sacked as he was in in uh, on Sunday morning, immediately almost immediately after the column appeared, and I think his 
interview on the Sean O'Rourke program yesterday, although I didn't hear it, I read the contents yeah. of it. He said he was the author of his own misfortune, his own downfall. Yeah, Michael, I was rereading yesterday our former editor Geraldine Kennedy's kind of apology after in the mid nineties that that uh, diary was published by Kevin Myers, the infamous one in which he used the word bastards about uh, illegitimate children. And I was really struck by the language that Geraldine Kennedy used about Kevin Myers at the time. He was very relevant. He was very punchy, very central to ongoing debates. That hasn't been the case in recent years, has it? No, it hasn't. There were two Kevin Myers journalists. There was the Kevin Myers that I sat next to in the newsroom of the old building back in the 1980s when he was an absolutely brilliant Irishman's diary writer. He was witty. He was... uh, insightful. He was uh, also very courageous, by the way. Sort sort of forgotten now. It was a more difficult era. He championed the cause of uh, those Irishmen who had fought in the First World War. Not a very popular thing to do. And he he was very persistent about it. Uh, That Kevin Myers and a very genial colleague. And then, of course, there was the later Kevin Myers, the the descent into misogyny, uh, the unfortunate piece on Sunday, which was anti-Semitic. This, that Kevin Myers, I, I just don't understand, having known the earlier Kevin Myers. I think perhaps, you know, he courted a certain kind of populism, a kind of anti-PC populism. Uh, it, it certainly brought him some fame. It brought him, in notoriety. relative terms, notoriety, yeah. in relative terms, a very good income. Uh, I thought it was a waste of talent. I ceased to read him years ago, even though we used to meet in the street and would exchange pleasantries. I ceased to read him a long time ago. And I think... I prefer now, I I agree with my colleague Patsy McGarry, who in his profile this week in the Irish Times, he said he was a journalist more than the sum of his errors. Now, I agree with that assessment. A lot of people wouldn't. But I do think that the the stage two of Kevin Myers' career was a waste of his talent. Moving on to Brexit, last Friday, the Taoiseach, Leif Radker, had a round table with political journalists and the clear take-home message was, Brexiteers, we won't be designing a hard border for you. So, as I say, a clear change of tone from the softly, softly diplomatic approach adopted by Varadkar's predecessor, Enda Kenny. Basically, it was Brexit for slow learners. He wants the United Kingdom to stay in the customs union and the single market. Uh, so there would be no need for any border of any consequence, as he put it on on Tuesday. So I, I think, Sophie, the very significant thing to emerge for us was this behind the scenes work done by revenue here in the Republic and the Customs Service officials. They've been investigating how what they call technological solutions, things like electronic monitoring could be employed to ensure an open border when the UK leaves the EU. This has been stopped under Varadkar. So does that indicate to you this is not just talk? Varadkar really means this? Um, yeah, I think um, both him um, and the, uh, the foreign, Minister for Foreign Affairs have started to signal that... Um, the technology isn't the issue, so the technology might be there. It's becoming um, a political struggle. Yeah. Um, so they have kind of passed this back to the UK government um, and the DUP and said, well, if this is what you want, uh, that then you can find a solution. Um, and then what he went on to say was, and then we'll ask you if you think that's a good idea. Um, so they're, they're, they're taking part in this kind of um, process, which, which other parties are as well, the SDLP um, and Sinn Féin to some extent, where they say, look, the border... And how it's managed is bound up with peace. Yeah. So therefore, if you if you truly support peace, you will find a way to ensure that border doesn't change, which is which is a really significant challenge. And I think as well, um, will set some parties in the Republic and here up against the UK government and the DUP, who are now kind of um, obsessed with showing that 
uh, they don't care what outside states think, right? They're, they're back to playing um, kind of hard politics yeah. of the of the Cold War era. Um, whereas in McGuinness's era with Sinn Féin and with Enda Kenny, we saw a little bit more uh, soft diplomacy and cooperation, and this has become a kind of a struggle for domination now. Yeah, it's interesting, Fake, isn't it? Because while Radker might have been morally right to say what he said, is it slightly politically pointless in the sense that if neither Britain nor Ireland comes up with solutions, the adults in the room, if you like, the, the authorities in Europe are going to have to step in. And while, you know, it will be, they'll be maybe a bit sad if we end up with a hard border, we are the ones who are going to suffer. Yeah, I, I think the point of, of last week was probably to remind um, the authorities in Europe and London indeed that we are here, we're still here, that we are one of the three main key issues that the EU has identified, uh, be it uh, like the border was one of the three, along with the final bill and the rights of EU and UK citizens. So I think perhaps there was an, uh, an element of making a bit of noise to put that back on the agenda. There was a feeling perhaps that Ireland had slipped down the agenda yeah. somewhat. But the outcome of that, will it be the fact that it merely entrenches positions on both sides and then we, leads to a position where we have a solution imposed on us. I'm not quite sure. It was interesting, again, that Leo Varadkar referenced back to an agreement of the North South Ministerial Council yeah. in November, albeit with the previous executive, at which I think the phrase he used was that there was four common principles agreed between the Northern Executive and the Dublin government, and one of them was to protect the free movement of people, goods, capital and services. And as far as Dublin is concerned, that means an ultra-soft Brexit, as they're calling it, Customs union, single market. Now, let's be honest, single market definitely probably won't, definitely is not going mm-hmm. to happen. Customs union is an open question. So maybe they're trying to put the extreme out there in order to tack London and Belfast back towards the customs union and some sort of arrangement. And then, as they say, uh, um, you know, if you have an alternative to this, to our vision, which is an ultra soft Brexit, which they know is unacceptable to London and to the DUP, come up with a solution that yeah. we find acceptable. Perhaps it's a way of putting the extreme out there to drag them back to the middle. Yeah, but Michael, isn't it significant, and Radko keeps making this point, that northern politicians don't actually have a voice here because there's no uh, executive instalment. Radker keeps saying he can pick up the phone and call the First Minister of Scotland or the First Minister of Wales. It's no problem, but when it comes to Northern Ireland, he keeps saying, I've no one to ring. Yeah, that's true. And uh, of course, there's an appalling uh, vacuum because also you have the DUP who will be keeping a minority uh, conservative government in power in London, which further complicates matters. And uh, not too sure that while it went down very well in the Republic, that Leo's hardline remarks about look to the UK, it's up to you to sort this mess out. I'm not too sure it really moved matters forward at all. Um, it's, uh, you know, as one of our letter writers today says, actually, it's, it's Brexit. It's not UK exit. And yeah. we're, we, we have to look to our own corner. Just how polarised the Northern situation actually is was brought home to me there listening to Sophie, who got into trouble expressing sympathy with yeah. the family of Martin McGuinness when Ian Paisley died. A glowing tribute was paid to Paisley by Martin McGuinness, who actually was able to do it and keep his own fairly militant Republican heartland online as well. So that's an indication of just how polarised it. I was interested yesterday to read uh, Sean Donnellan, former Secretary General of the Department of Foreign Affairs in the Irish Times, where he talks, uh, where he urges uh, Sinn Féin uh, to end the abstentionist policy in the House of Commons. You know, they'd be over there now with a voice. Now, that will happen. I do think Sean Donnellan probably... Uh, doesn't make full allowance for the fact 
that uh, as happened in the Republic when the uh, Sinn Féin ended its abstentionist policy, you do have to travel slowly. A party like Sinn Féin has to travel slowly to bring its more hardline elements with it. Now, they will eventually take their seats in the House of Commons. That will come. I've no doubt about it. Sooner, perhaps rather than later. Interesting. Sophie, what do you think there? I mean, do you think Geoffrey Donaldson and his colleagues in the DUP have been taken aback at Varadkar's new approach? Um, so, so, somewhat. Uh, I know they were pleased. Uh, he attended um, a, a dinner at Belfast City Hall to commemorate the Battle of the Somme um, last year. So I think they saw it as a kind of a, an indication he was a soft nationalist or soft Republican. Yeah. Uh, and, and therefore, um, perhaps slightly friendlier ally than, than Sinn Féin might be. Um, I do think that <clears throat> given their deal that they have with the Conservative Party, their confidence has grown a little bit after being shocked by the assembly elections here in March 16 when unionism lost its majority. So their confidence has been re-established. So they're now free to make those those comments again, which you saw Paisley making in the uh, late 60s, early 70s, um, that, that Ireland shouldn't have a role in the affairs of Northern Ireland. You know, we're, we're governed by the UK. We're a constituent part of the UK and therefore they shouldn't have any say. However, as we know, the DUP under some controversial circumstances, supported Brexit. Um, yeah. And therefore, Ireland as an EU member state will have a very clear say in the future of Northern Ireland. Um, so I think, ultimately, they're fairly pragmatic, the DUP. They're interested in markets. They're interested in investment. So they will work with whoever they have to work with. But part of this, again, is this uh, polarised rhetoric we mentioned earlier, yeah. um, coming from both sides of the border now. There is yeah. an element, perhaps, that... That the, the, the Irish government position hasn't changed. It's just the expression of that position has changed. That Enda Kenny always spoke about making sure that the, there's no hard border, that yeah. trade can continue between North and South. I think the government's view that the, the, the tenor of the comments has changed, definitely. But the position itself hasn't. That Someone made the point to me the other day that in his meeting with Theresa May and Downing Street in June, in which we all talked about that kind of cringeworthy love actually reference, yeah. Faradkar said, I believe there should be no economic border on the island of Ireland. And what he meant by that is, I want you guys to stay in the single market and the customs union or just the customs union. But they are acknowledging that definitely the language has changed. And London, as we saw in news stories over last week, has been been taken aback by that somewhat. There is also the domestic element to this in terms of southern politics. Perhaps Faradkar taking a hard line with Brexiteers and with the DUP will play well to a domestic audience. Bear in mind that Enda Kenny was often criticised during the bailout era for not standing up strongly enough for Ireland's interests in a European forum. We now have Faradkar very much laying the boot in to people who the Irish people see as those who've created this problem. Yeah, no, I certainly take your point that Varadkar's rhetoric, I suppose, is just the logical outworking of the Irish government's position. But certainly the it, it's much more robustly articulated now. And I suppose that's because time is passing mm. and, you know, a deadline is looming and either the British have just woken up to the situation in Ireland or I'm not sure what's mm. going on there. It's clear we're not on their radar. You might have read Matthew Paris's piece in, this, in mm. the Times on Sunday and he... It, it was an extraordinary piece in which he said he was kind of embarrassed and ashamed of his uh, of the Conservative Party and indeed, in some sense, his own nationality. But Ireland wasn't mentioned in the piece at all, which just shows you how think, yeah, we I, don't we don't feature I, I, on the radar. I think we have to realise that as well. Uh, the other thing is uh, that Leo Varadkar may have felt may have felt 
that there was a perception that he was perhaps a little too close to the DUP. Mm. Uh, Possibly, uh, yeah. And I think maybe the recent rhetoric is very much a political move by, uh, on his part to show, no, no, look, I come from the tradition of uh, Taoiseach in the Republic. It, it may just have been mm. to reassure perhaps people in the Republic who might have been a little suspicious that he might have been just yes. too close to the DUP to, tell, to reassure them, look, I'm not. He did, yeah. he did make a, a, a big enough play of his personal relationship with Ireland yes, Foster yeah. when she took over yeah. as Taoiseach because yeah. we had been ministers. She had been yeah. my counterpart in the North yeah. when she wasn't first minister. So I think what Michael says is correct yeah. that he was reminding people that actually he's... He is a nationalist first and foremost. Yeah, and there might be a sense now that he's almost uh, looking for confrontation with the DUP on two fronts because, of course, he travels to Belfast on Friday for some what he calls low-key diplomacy, although it strikes me it's quite difficult for him to be low-key and of late he hasn't shown a great propensity for being diplomatic either, but we'll see how that turns out. Friday he will meet um, party leaders. He'll deliver a speech at Queen's University. He'll meet business and civil society representatives. But I think the, the most noteworthy thing is he'll attend the official Pride Breakfast in Belfast on Saturday morning before dashing back to Croke Park for the Dublin Monaghan GAA game. Sophie, could he press any more DUP buttons, do you think? <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say if he attended a, a pro-choice rally, but um, we'll not get into that. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think um, it was. I think it was Donaldson yesterday it was as diplomatic as, as he could be whenever yeah. he was asked if he'd support Leo's attendance at Pride. And he said, well... I'm not. I'm not around this weekend, and the important thing is the executive. Yeah. Um. So you know, everybody knows the DU's position on on marriage equality. Um. They will be slightly uncomfortable with, um, Leo now a, a leader of a, um, former enemy state, I suppose, in DUP terms, <laughs> uh, an openly gay man. Um. But whenever when it comes down to it, they they can push those th- they can push those things aside. Um. And get the de- and get deals done. I do think it's important um, that there are relationships built uh, across the border uh, in terms of struggles um, for equality, um, particularly given the referendum um, in the Republic. Um, now, I don't agree with all of Leo's politics. I don't think he's explicitly doing it um, to upset the DUP. That may just be a, a welcome bonus, um, but. Yeah, they'll they'll see this kind of as a, as an intrusion and one kind of framed in uh, anti traditional. Yeah. If you look at what he actually said yesterday, he said, I will attend the Pride Breakfast on Saturday morning in Belfast to express my support for equality before the law for Catholics, Protestants, non-religious people, men, women, gay people and straight people. And I won't be making any compromises about that for anyone, really. And that was in the context of me asking him, you know, was he going to attend a Pride event or was he conscious of sensitivities with the DUP? Now, Sophie, you say everybody knows the DUP's position on marriage equality, but Arlene Foster has said it's complete other nonsense to describe the DUP as homophobic. She, I think, maybe you can explain it to us. She's saying this is coming from a faith perspective. She's Church of Ireland, I believe, rather than Free Presbyterian. Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah. So on, only a third of the DUP are now Free Presbyterian. Yeah. It's kind of shifted since Paisley's era. There's a lot of former UUP members who left yeah. after the Good Friday Agreement, and they're a little bit more socially progressive. Um, however, uh, the comments which have emerged, which the British media picked up after the, the Conservative deal, uh, from DUP members over the past were that, uh, you know, Sammy Wilson, I don't care if they, they pay rates, uh, they're poofs, it's unnatural. Um, you know, uh, um, one of their MLAs had argued that uh, gay parents shouldn't be allowed to adopt, um, allegedly. Um, so these these kind of different different statements 
um, which then whenever she stands up and says um, we're not homophobic, this is this is based on faith, um, doesn't quite stand up because you can you can uh, have a private uh, religious practice or private religious belief um, and not wish to impose that on others. So that they are now essentially the state in Northern Ireland and they have used several times the petition of concern practice in the assembly to block uh, the extension of marriage equality um, to Northern Ireland. So so they're kind of they're shifting religion into the public sphere mm. and wielding their power uh, to prevent private citizens accessing the same uh, institution of marriage as others. So that essentially is institutionalised homophobia executed by the DUP. Some of them may privately not have homophobic attitudes. Some of them publicly have expressed them. Um, but the way that they are enacting policy is homophobic. Yeah, Michael, it's interesting. Like, as I say, Arlene Foster, the leader of the party, says it's it's complete and utter nonsense to describe the DUP as homophobic. Do you do you think uh, Radker's right to go to the Pride event in I Belfast? Do, I, I do. I think it's absolutely right. And the interesting thing about it is people in the Republic won't cast a second glance at him going up north. Uh, the, the surprise or the concern or the unease will be in the north. We've moved on here. I thought it was very interesting, for instance, in Vincent Brown's interview with him on TV3 there recently. There was no mention of the fact that he's gay. No. That's part now. That's over. It's gone. Yeah. Uh, there's, mar- there's uh, marriage equality here in the Republic. And I have to say this. If, if somebody in the Republic had made the kind of remarks that Sammy Wilson made, imagine the, 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 you know, imagine the difficulties the politicians and ministers would have in the Republic trying to explain somebody mm-hmm. like Sammy Wilson if such a, an individual existed down here. Well, let's not fool ourselves, Fake. Okay, you know, we, we've come a long way, but only in fairly recent years, isn't that right? Yeah, it's only two years since the referendum, but I do think it would have been deeply hypocritical of Varadkar if he hadn't attended some sort of function yeah. to mark pride in Belfast. It, like, he's not going to the parade, but he's going to the breakfast. Bear in mind that just a number of weeks ago, as part of the Dublin Pride celebrations, he stood on the back on a stage in Smithfield and said, I will fight for you, I will fight for your rights, you know, this isn't the end. Yeah, that type he specifically of, referenced Northern he Ireland. He referenced Northern yeah. Ireland. And there were a lot of people at that event who said that, yes, we have gained our equality down here, but the next fight is Northern Ireland. So he would have been letting down those people if he snubbed yeah. uh, pride in Belfast for political sensitivities for the risk of not upsetting the DUP. Let's face it, there are going to be a lot of different issues which the Dublin government will upset the DUP yeah. over in the coming years, probably around Brexit and the border. This is probably small beer by comparison. So if we can ask you from a northern perspective, will Faradkar be welcome at Pride? I, I, I remember Una Mullally wrote a column in the aftermath of the marriage equality referendum here when she talked about the appearance of party leaders on the stage at Dublin Castle was taken with a pinch of salt and she singled out uh, Jerry Adams for a particular eye-rolling, as she put it, because <laughs> he seemed to be kind of surgically attached to Panty Bliss every time the cameras rolled. <laughs> will there be a, a sense of that up north? Uh, I've seen a few comments from uh, from friends of mine, from from activists for LGBT um, equality and rights, who've kind of said that um, if you, if you kind of look at the struggle for equality in Northern Ireland, a lot of the hard work has been done. We're now living uh, in a world where, at least in the majority of the West, the new norm is that you're in the minority if you oppose um, equality for gay citizens. Right, so it's very very difficult to make. Uh, a socially acceptable argument against people enjoying um, marriage equality. So therefore, some people have said that, yes, he's coming, uh, he's a statesman, he's doing what he has to do, he's executing his role, uh, but uh, where, where was he and where were other leaders 
um, in in the eighties when you know a unionist councillor had to go to the European Court to get homosexuality decriminalised here. Um, so it, it's it's kind of it echoes the um, the discourses coming from activists about the attention now shown to abortion here uh, from from people like Stella Creasy. So yes, we do appreciate the support, but where was it when it was truly needed before? That norm was established and hard won by activists uh, living here. And um, yeah. So yeah, he's welcome, but there'll probably be a little bit of criticism about why he's why he's doing. That. I suppose, in fairness, Fragger is only thirty eight, mm-hmm. and uh, like he himself yeah. only just uh, came out actually on on radio yeah. with Murray McCallaghan ahead of yeah. the marriage equality referendum and, and here. David Norris had to go to the European Court in the eighties. He, mm-hmm. he was uh, campaigning for gay rights in the nineteen eighties. Yeah. He. He faced some pretty it's huge It's important for Varadkar to do what he's doing this weekend as well. Um, in the con- I know it, it, it would be nice that as part of the negotiations around the conference that, that Theresa May uh, struck with the DUP, so if you reference the, the rhetoric that was dredged up by the, the, the London media that Theresa May came out and said, well, my firm view is that, you know, everybody is equal. So, And then we have Leo Varadkar saying the same thing. So perhaps it's an important signal to send that both London and Dublin yeah. believe that this is what they should be, what the, the North should be pursuing. Perhaps it will increase or maintain some degree of pressure on the DUP. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about actually the signals that Varadkar is sending? Uh, Sophie touched on it there. You know, I, I, I suppose we can't assume all LGBT activists are liberal. I'm sure they're they're not all liberal, but that is the maybe the majority view. And Varadkar's ideology is different from that, isn't it? I mean, we're still... Have, have we managed to figure out what his ideology is right uh, now? I, I don't think we have, actually. Uh, I'm not sure what he stands for at all. I mean, in terms of... I accept people who get up early in the morning, oh, yes. which, uh, you know, okay, you need an alarm clock to be in harmony with Leo's view of life. But uh, also he got bogged down in this idea of Middle Ireland and middle, middle class, class with Vincent yeah, Brown in the Vincent Brown interview. I'm not sure we know where, he st- where we stand with him at all ideologically. Time will tell. I think that uh, I think it's perhaps not entirely correct. I kind of jar with people saying that everybody who's LGBT is, is liberal. And there was a column by Una Mullally a couple weeks ago, which I strongly disagree with, which kind of basically was based on that premise. And it's not the case. You know, LGBT people are like everybody else. Yeah. They go from shades right to shades of left. But I think for Agker's particular philosophy, we are awaiting a speech he's expected to give in the autumn. Um, the latest is that it's going to be at the Fine Gael Parliamentary Party thinking mm. That will be a, a keynote address. The media will be ushered into the room to hear this great uh, tablet from on high and then sent out again. <laughs> but that is the point at which the government and Fine Gael are saying that's when he will put flesh in the bones of his governing philosophy. Look forward to that. It's summertime, so we can't leave this discussion without mentioning one of the talking points of the summer so far, unpaid tabs in the doll bar. Uh, Varadkar yesterday saying everyone should pay their bills, particularly politicians, and uh, revised credit policies being developed after recently published Houses of the Eructus Commission annual report revealed that almost €5,500 in unpaid doll restaurant and bar tabs had been written off. Michael, does this matter or is it silly season stuff? Oh, 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 no, it matters. Uh, It's, as our American cousins might say, it's all about the optics. Mm. This looks terrible. I mean, if you're a member of a GA club and you went to the bar, you pay your bill, a golf club. This is the National Parliament. God, it's yeah. it's not even new politics. It's clearly old new politics. Yeah. It, it looks terrible. 
in the uh, quiet time at Leicester House, I was in the canteen yesterday having my lunch with a government minister who had just come from canvassing his constituency that morning. And I kind of said, well, how are the how is the population of Ireland? How are they getting on? He goes, actually, they're great for me. Because you know what the bloody thing that came up was that bar tab? Because <laughs> I go. spent my morning explaining to people that I was actually buying teas and coffee for constituents and crisps and coke for young, for kids coming in, not that I was racking up points in the bar. No, in fairness, I mean, a lot of members... It drives people mad. Yeah, but it does. It does but it, a lot of TDs and senators do say, like, the doll bar is not the den of iniquity it once was, yeah. right? It's more like a coffee dot these but days. It, it's, it's the one it's the one issue that really gets sure. the public going. Sophie, how does it compare to Belfast? I take it things are pretty dry up in Stormont these days. <laughs> um, well, there's there, there there aren't many people up there. Um, I do know it's it's heavily subsidised. The food yeah. the food's pretty nice. Um, but it's just it's one of those things. If it's not communicated clearly, uh, the public will just see then politicians as distant elites who don't understand them, which will just fuel populism, send them into the arms of of, of far right parties. Um, so I think that if 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 TDs TDs are unhappy about this, they should be they should be on social media talking about it, explaining what it is. because um, what you don't want is further further mistrust between uh, the public and political institutions. Thanks, Sophie. That's all for now. Remember, you can subscribe to the show or download individual episodes through SoundCloud, iTunes and Stitcher. My thanks to my guests, to producer Jennifer Ryan and JJ Vernon on sound. Tweet me if you like at Minahan Mary. Many thanks for listening and goodbye for now. 